0: Hello, and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups, where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas, and this is our Wednesday show, where we niche down to a single person, think about their work, and unpack the rest. Today, we're talking to SJ Sacchetti, Clio's chief business officer and former CEO, actually a shift we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. But first, SJ, welcome to the show. Welcome to Equity. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. Before we jump into all the questions about nuance and career transitions, how is your 2023 going? I don't know how anyone feels these days, so just wanted to start off on that note. My 2023
1: is already a lot better than my 2022, which is part of what we're going to talk about. (laughs) It's a lot lighter. The specter all around us is obviously very humbling and... Overwhelming in many ways, but personally, I'm my 2022 was probably one of the worst years I've had. So I'm I'm starting on a good note and really focused there, which is part of what we're going to talk about today.
0: Heck yeah! I mean that officially means something too because we're more than just like one day in. Because I was super excited for 2023 and it was like Jan 2nd, but now it's February. We're in it. I'm so glad to hear things are going better for you. And as we're alluding to today, we're going to talk about executive transitions, knowing when it's time to step back as a leader, and just. The general nuance behind how we approach our careers in tech, it is a topic I think about so much, and this episode is definitely a little selfish because I want to take notes from you, S.J. Before we get into the transition, tell me a little bit about just your background and, and how you've spent your career in tech so far before you joined Clio.
1: Absolutely. I have been really lucky to be educated by startup tech companies for now pretty much 20 years I started my career actually in politics for a hot minute, Okay, which if anybody has ever been in political campaigns, as I did, I feel like the rough and tumble starts to prepare you for what startups look like. And so I entered the tech world with the concept that I could take a break from the campaign trail. I had moved to the Bay Area from New York Okay, and everybody was in tech here. It was the thing to do. And I thought it sounded a lot easier than campaigns. And that was funny at the time. (laughs) Uh, And so I thought I'd take a year off the campaign trail and go back to it. But I was young and I fell in love with tech. I actually worked, interestingly, at a PR and marketing agency Oh, okay. starting out and was in the world of enterprise software, BEA, Sun Microsystems, Oracle, running the show at the time. So that dates me a little bit. And I was working on both software and hardware, AMD, microchips. And I just fell in love with this world of tech. What made you love it? Was it Scrappiness, was the, it speed, the... the speed, the yeah. speed. Absolutely. And just seeing people really create things out of nothing. So I had started my career with these really what they were, you know, the four horsemen, the giants of tech at the time. But also at the time, ad tech was starting to come up. I helped launch a company called Quantcast and Media and started to just kind of see that was the beginning of social media as well. And also music tech. I'm going to really date myself for people listening. I work with Mebo and interesting companies and ad tech. And then as well as iMeme and music. So it was really this moment of a lot of creativity and creation of people, literally two people starting something that just seemed wild. And then within months had millions of users. And so I just fell in love with it. The speed, the creativity, the people. Yeah. It was awesome.
0: It's like addicting to be around that energy. I started reporting on... I think almost four years ago. And before that, I was covering like mom and pop businesses. But then I came to San Francisco and like our version of mom and pop. Of course, there are mom and pop businesses, but they are also the startups that are people who are crazy enough to start something despite there being an insanely well-capitalized competitor out there. (laughs) When did you start thinking about mission as part of your career? Because you obviously spent time in the healthcare world as well with collective health.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There was probably about a decade from when I kind of got into tech and it was really, you know, while they may have said they had missions and I love these companies, they were very much profit-seeking entities as they should have been. And I had really missed my days on the campaign trail. Like I said, I'd always imagined I would go back to it. I always thought, well, I'll stay in this tech space hopefully have a hit or two and essentially be able to afford to live in the Bay Area and go back into politics was my my plan transparently. Yeah. And I was missing that mission ethos because on my campaign trail, I was working for education and hospital districts who were woefully underfunded across the state. Wow. And then sure enough, health tech came through. So I had seen a few, what I would call horizon lines develop in that 10 years. The first was clean tech, which I chased hard. I actually was really lucky to work with a couple solar companies at the time and a very cool company in battery technology and automotive called Proterra that's still doing really well. So I started to do that really early, oh, yeah. but that kind of fizzled and I was like, oh, that that felt like my first chance to get mission and tech together. And then health tech came along. And so it was another wave. And that's where I really fell in love with this industry. And thankfully, it has staying power. And I think while we're seeing some hardship in the market today, we're going to see a lot more innovation and really exciting adoption in health tech in this decade. So it was Collective Health. I banged down the door until they said yes (laughs) to letting me join. And the rest is history.
0: You were a CMO there,
1: if I'm correct. Yes. I started as a head of marketing for the career folks listening and spent five years there ultimately, CMO.
0: Talk to me about moving from a CMO position to eventually CEO of Clio. It was a really interesting transition,
1: one that I can say I didn't plan. At the time, Clio had a search for a new CEO. I knew a couple of the board members. Okay. And one in particular, I'd met through my time at Collective Health. We were an early kind of success story in health tech. And I had met her and I had known the team at Clio previously. And she asked me for coffee one day and said, hey, I have this idea. You're you're the next Clio CEO. And I, oh I think I laughed out loud because uh, <laughs> I had just never imagined I'd work for, at, by that point, probably 15 or 20 startups, either full-time or through my consultancy. Wow. And I also worked with Redpoint Ventures. So I had seen so many startup CEOs. <laughs> A, they didn't look like me which is, I think, one of the things we'll talk about. But B, it really felt like a friction point. At my period of time, I was had just had my second child. Okay. And it's just something I hadn't imagined. And one of the board members challenged me and said, right, that's why we don't see people like you because wow. exactly that statistic that you're quoting is that barrier. I ultimately said, yes, it took a long time. I think it was a two or three month conversation. And then I jumped in.
0: Shout out to that board member. Because I think it's it's so human to like, not see your life. Like, you know, I think work-life balance has become more of a reality, can I say, now in tech where it's like not just hustle culture isn't the only way people see success. And so I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm 26 and I think about how these are the years I need to grind because I have no responsibilities. I'm not married. I have no kids. I have nothing to take care of. Touch wood right now. So I don't know. I just feel like there's never a good time and you always feel kind of pressure around you
1: you do i mean it's a lot to unpack there it's certainly the story i think of anyone kind of on an ambitious trail of how do you think about those decisions and i don't think as we know specifically women don't have a lot of examples of what it looks like to do both and to do both in a what i would call a sustainable way yeah and i think that's i think honestly it's a riddle that we're still trying to solve and i do think this is a decade that we're going to have to for a multitude of reasons
0: I think I saw on someone's Twitter bio the other day, like, I'm a founder, a writer, and trying to have it all. And I was like, I love that. I love that you said, have it all. Because I, I agree with you. I don't think we see it enough or even said out loud enough. Which really brings me to why... I wanted you on the show and how we first got connected. I read this awesome piece from Fortune about how you decided to ultimately, after three years of being a CEO at Clio, which is a B2B family benefits platform, you are stepping away from that role and joining as a chief business officer. And I, I really wanted to just spend some time there. Talk to me about how you even build up to that decision before you actually make that decision.
1: Yeah, it's a huge point. And to be honest with you, it took me a long time to get to the decision. And one of the reasons I you know, did that interview with Fortune is because during that period of stress, which I'll get into in a minute, of the why behind it, I didn't have any examples yeah. to look at of what do you do when your life literally becomes an avalanche around you, but you're running a growth stage company
0: it's like the ousted CEO is like yeah. the usual departure we see. Yeah. And I know.
1: think there's so much more behind the scenes. And I think funnily enough, the the backstory is I'm a mother of two, which is a lot <laughs> enough. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I was, you know, balancing it as well as I could. I actually took over Cleo's important note in uh, December, 2019. So I had about okay. two and a half months before the pandemic. So my yeah. entire track, my three years was what I, if there's a term for it, it, was tumultuous. The world around us was unpredictable, wild, and employees, clients, and the market were in a constant state of flux, right? Yeah, And so my whole period, right, from homeschooling, my kids during COVID and running a company to managing right through this pandemic to then the economic downturn. And then of course, all the social and workplace challenges that faced all of us was marked with, I think, a lot of stress in and of itself. Unfortunately, another personal stressor happened at the time, which was in October 2020. So, just about a year after taking over, my uh, stepfather was diagnosed with a horrible disease, ALS, not only as a terminal, but if folks are familiar with it, um, it is a uh, horribly uh, sad and vexing disease for the caregivers because it's essentially, you know, you become fully paralyzed within your body. Yeah. And home care is is really what's required. So during the pandemic, too. During, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. Ugh, and gosh. believe it or not, like if I go back in time, and this is one thing I do want other execs and, and leaders to hear, is I became that proverbial frog in the boiling water. It got hotter and hotter and hotter, but I didn't notice it because you just keep going and you use those terms hustle, culture, grind. Those are certainly in my blood. They're in my, what I've been trained on, not just in tech, but in politics, right? Yeah. They're very similar. Like you just go and there's there's always another day you'll get up and you'll fight again. And that was, I think, very much my thinking, but I also didn't have an example. So at the breaking point, which became, I moved my parents closer to me, eight minutes away. And over the last year became more and more hands-on because my mother's health, not surprisingly also started uh, to become very shaky. I'm the only family member in the area. My brother mm-hmm. lives internationally. And so it was hot. I'm gonna say the boiling water was boiling over, but I kept going and was doing both. And funnily enough, I would tell my friends, I would tell my family, I'm great, I'm good. I'm doing and it. And I, I just told myself <laughs> that. And no. I think we do that. And at the end of the day, what ended, the breaking point happened actually at September, I think it was the 27th, I was supposed to fly to Seattle for a business trip. And he had his first night of full paralysis in the evening and the world crumbled around us. So even though I knew that I was going to take more of this on, even though we were talking about it at a board level for a year, even though my executive team knew it, we were very open. Yeah. It still hit like a shock, you know, and then I became a hands-on full-time caregiver okay. for him. Um, He passed away in December.
0: I'm so um, sorry.
1: I am too. I miss him very much, but I will tell you that decision is the best I've ever made. Because you don't know how much time you have. I am, you know, like the coffee mug or a Hallmark card on this one. Like, you just don't know. And I didn't know at the time. We couldn't predict. But what ended up happening is I became hands-on, managing both my mom's support and then very honored to say I got to be by his side. And then we had to figure it out as a board, as an executive team. What does this mean for Cleo? And I would say, you know, the hardest decision of all of them which is why I did that interview with Fortune and why I'm happy to talk to you today, was taking leave. The rest of the decisions became, I don't want to say obvious or easy. They were certainly complicated. Sure. And have lots to figure out. But the taking of leave was something I had never seen an executive do. And by the way, I had two kids. I, you know, maternity leave, parental leave, all of these things are should be hardwired to me. But I had been climbing my career as I built my family and so yeah. I took a lot of shortcuts in how I managed family and work through that period of time so that I could get to the next ring. But sure. when you're caregiving for an adult, it's a whole different thing. And it became so clear that I couldn't do both. I couldn't do a Zoom call and get to Seattle and do this. There's no easy button for adult caregiving. And it was the it was the breaking point. And I will. Openly, I had called three close, I know a lot of great CEOs, but three that I'm very close to. And I called them up and I said, what do you do? Yeah. What do you do? Do you take leave? And they all said, I don't know. And let me call my network. That hasn't been probably talked about. Yeah. And they couldn't find anyone. Usually someone steps away or it looks, it's hidden. I don't know really what they do because they don't talk about it. I'm not the only one. We can say, I know that for sure. But we aren't really public about it because I think there's stigma and shame associated with having to step back and not be superhuman. And that's why I think it's important to talk about it, because I do think it's unsustainable. And I think both boards and executive teams you know, need to be more prepared for these moments, because I think as you bring in more diverse people leading companies, we have to expect that this has become, I think, a normal part of operating.
0: Oh, there's so much there. Um, I'm already rethinking my phrasing on wanting to have it all because I think that also somewhat adds pressure to the idea that you have to be the person if you're in a position of leadership or an ambitious person to be able to have it all and to want to have it all. But back to your comment, like you taking leave gave you that time with your family that you wouldn't have had otherwise. So it's definitely a good note there. And you can have it all, but as some wise people have told me, just not at the same time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Were you surprised at all by your team and board's reaction? Because clearly they they let you do it. If that's not the right way to phrase it, they supported it. But like, it's probably a new language for you and them. So I'm curious how that conversation went.
1: Yeah, you know, it was such a crisis point that we got to, which is one of the other reasons I want to talk about it, because it shouldn't have been. We should predict these things. We should be prepared. And so that's what one thing I would say to boards, exec teams. You know, you, it shouldn't take Everything falling apart to be ready for that plan B. yeah so have it even if things seem normal and and you're ready because I would say that's one thing I hold myself accountable for of like hey, I really wish we'd really executed. I started talking my head of people about it only a month earlier and he was deteriorating so fast like things were very obvious and so that's one thing I would say is I think there was a little bit of a surprise like but it shouldn't have been that we all weren't necessarily totally prepared. I would say, secondly, people handle it well. I do want to call people's attention to There are, you know, state laws, particularly in California, but around mandated family leave. And so I think also exec teams board should be educated on those and understand them. Yeah, It's unprecedented for a CEO, right? In my situation, and my situation was so acute, right? ALS is particularly a complicated caregiving situation. But I think we see these things, right, with others. And typically we handle it like maternity leave, or something. We've seen a couple of those, but I yeah. think having open conversations as a board, how would we handle this at the exact level is probably productive for people. And don't wait for the rainy day, like get the umbrella, have it in the closet. So you're ready for it. So that's one thing I wish we had done more transparently, but you're running a business and you're busy and you're focused on other things. And, you know, I would say the biggest surprise was taking the leave itself. Like I said, I, I never imagined in a million years, I've obviously supported many employees who have to take leave. Like I understand it personally and professionally. I know the laws, but it was a wild experience to have to do it myself. So I would say that was the biggest surprise is having to raise my hand.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's like no one's going to ask you to slow down in the way no. that the world currently works.
1: <laughs> no, they're not. And it doesn't make them not compassionate. It doesn't mean anything. We're all really maxed out these days. I think we all can say that in all environments. And so I think it's how do you kind of navigate that yourself and how do you plan for that future?
0: Yeah. You said something in your blog post announcing the move around the idea that, well, you know, this full circle idea even, which was Clio was addressed to address the massive disconnect between active parents and caregivers and their careers, best seen in the facts that less than 9% of today's Fortune 500 CEOs are women, and that we are still missing 1 million women in the American workforce as a result of the demands and burnout of the pandemic and caregiving. I'm unfortunately, but not surprisingly, now also one of those statistics— The idea of becoming part of that statistic, like, ultimately, there's so much around ego expectations, pressure, and just like ambition. Talk to me about coming back and being like, I want to be a chief business officer. I don't want to be a CEO because, you know, that was also probably a whole other option and deciding on where to fit in.
1: Okay, I'm going to be blunt. I think there's two camps in our world of tech and startups, and I think they will persist forever. One is there's never an excuse to step away. You grind, you grind harder or there's something off with you. Yeah. It's a you problem, right? The the You just gotta, this is what you accept and this is how it works. I think the other camp uh, and it's growing and I think the pandemic has intensified our understanding of true burnout, physical health and mental health and economic health around, you know, so many of our disenfranchised folks. The other camp is, that doesn't work and people are human and there shouldn't be a stigma around the side, step, step away, step to the side or step back. So I think the reason I had such a panic about raising my hand for leave is because, you know, the first camp, which is, you know, you have to stick it out and whatever it takes, it takes. And that's what, how this works Yeah, is very loud. And it is our prevailing culture, no matter what people say, you know, and I'm sure there's people who see my announcement in that camp through a very different looking glass. And it's their right. And it's how they might want to build their companies and fund companies, et cetera. But I think it's limited. And I think it's where some of our biggest issues can come from in our workplaces today. And I think it's nuanced. I think it also misses the fact that startups are actually really exciting relay races. There's never one person, there's never one point of failure and there's never one point of success. And I've learned that for my entire career yeah. no matter how much we might celebrate the cult of the founder or the CEO you don't have to look far to find the superheroes right next to them yes and they can be really surprising and i think women particularly get that and run relay races and understand it and so i think that's the other opportunity in camp number 2 where we could be human and we could run sustainable teams is There should never be that much on the shoulder of one person. And if there is, you have to ask yourself why that is and how that works and what if. I think that's a really important point and I think it's part of our celebration of this culture, particularly in startup tech, that it's a culture of personality. Yeah. And I think it's what gets us in trouble with some of the biggest headlines of the last, right, five years in tech alone of court cases. And I won't we won't get into all of them. Yeah. yeah. But it's absolutely not true. There's never just one. And so I think it's also the ability to step back and say, well, they're going to be fine. And I learned that through leave, right? that it's an opportunity to look at things in a new way. It's an opportunity to see this. And, you know, I think it's a really fascinating thing to unpack in our culture. Yeah. And maybe think about startups more from a team perspective openly and how we think about them and how we fund them and how we run them.
0: Do you feel like we're getting closer to a place where we are looking at it more collectively and that this kind of brings us to this other section around the cult of the founder and really putting a company's success And it's demise if that happens on one person. There aren't many examples of people stepping down or away loudly in the way that you did. But I do think we see a lot of victory laps that happen around one person. And I'm like, should we not be doing those either? I don't know. That's a difficult reinforcement of some of the individualism that can be an issue.
1: I think it's just how we've always seen these companies is because they typically come from an idea or they come from one person's grit. But I think once you're running them, like I think the funding and founding the first moment certainly can deserve that oftentimes. But I think once you're running a growth stage company, I think mature boards and teams understand that it's not yeah. on one person. And I think we do have to think about those teams differently. And That's one of the reasons I'm so thrilled about the co-CEO model for Clio, but also other companies. A, it's sustainable. It's really smart, especially after what my how things transpired with me. But B, it's a way for us to think about that team structure in a more transparent way. So I'm really excited about that.
0: The chief business officer role, like, how was it different enough that it made you want to come back compared to the CEO role?
1: Well, I always expected to come back. So taking leave was never, it was so much loaded with that family caregiving moment. Yeah, And then it was, how do I get back in? But the truth was, I was still caregiving for him. Um, so I had one month of leave and then it was coming back in, but I wasn't done. So it was just a negotiation of real facts. How many hours in the day do I have? How much focus can I give? And how can I still provide the best of what I can do within that limited structure to Clio? And so it became very apparent. I have a lot to give, but it's in a limited path. And so we had to negotiate that. Yeah. And it became clear, how can I do that in a controlled way? And so that's how we aligned on this role. It just became kind of the necessity.
0: I know that there's gonna be founders listening who resonate with a lot of what you're saying and are probably just wondering, was it hard? Like, and I know we said it was hard in different ways, but was it hard specifically to come back as no longer the CEO, but the chief business officer?
1: No, the hardest thing was taking leave because it was this, I was still in camp one and I felt like I was failing. Yeah, yeah. That was insanely hard. That was like three weeks of like, I'm I'm going to say like nearing panic attack. Like, sure. I can't believe this is happening. How did I, you never see yourself getting off the carousel. You just don't see it. If you get there and you've done what you needed to do to get to that point, yeah. you don't predict that. You don't see that. Even as CEOs, like we all get together and we'll say, ah, you know, I would love that. Nobody does. Nobody actually thinks that way. And so I can say that bluntly, like it was the first decision that was so loaded and so hard. And I want to normalize that. I want to say it out loud because there was nothing easy about it. It was really anxiety inducing at a time that was already completely overwhelming personally. Yeah. The next steps, funnily enough, for me, were very formulaic. It was like once I like put myself in the place that I had to be in. Yeah. Everything else. I know this sounds weird, but it was very it seemed very organized because it's like I had finally admitted the sky was blue. I don't know how to say no, it any other no, way. It's I like, feel like it's like you kind of I finally just said it out loud like this is insane. There's no way. Yeah. Right. I can do all of this. So now let's deal with the fact that the sky is blue and right. I've been pretending it was purple for a really long time, <laughs> but we're all here now. And, and so then the rest of it, I think was more challenging from a procedural perspective. Like, what does that look like with the exec team? What does that look like? Is the board, you know, on board with it or not? And all of that, I think is complicated. To that. That'll be very company dependent. There's no playbook there. But I think once I was honest with myself, the rest honestly organized itself pretty quickly.
0: That is awesome to hear. I would not have expected that. But like clearly so much self-awareness in that moment too, to be like, hey, here's where I'm at. Because I feel like I appreciate using the three weeks point because I think that that's the hard part, the self-awareness that eventually getting over it.
1: Yeah. And preparing yourself for people seeing it with their own lens. Like I had some calls from people like, oh, what happened to you? Oh, what? And I would laugh and I'd say, oh my gosh, you were where I, I know camp one. I know where you're at. And then the other thing I think I talked about with earlier is like, so many people call me and said, they're so proud of me. Mm. Like I had like done something brave and I heard that word so much. And that's what really freaked me out. And that's when I was like, I got to talk about this because you shouldn't be proud of me. Like we should accept that these things are, you know what I mean? Like, I I want this to be a little more normal (laughs) and not like, I had a dying parent who needed hands-on caregiving and another parent who I needed to not go off the rails And so I kept saying, well, but that's what was happening. And they're like, yeah, but you were, I'm proud that you did it. And I said, but actually, I think so many more people do it. They just feel stigmatized. So they don't want to talk about it. And so they hide from it. Yeah,
0: I think the publicness is a huge difference. And I actually, now you're saying this, like I'm thinking about when Slack CEO Stuart Butterfield stepped down, the headline was something around like, he's leaving to go focus on gardening. And there was like tech Twitter jokes. And there was a little bit of like, ha ha, like, is he being just like, you know, cutesy? But I think that that example, too, I now look at as like, people are still normal even when they're executives. There is the frustration and wanting to root for the employee who got laid off and dealing with that difficult part of not having power. But I think the more examples we see of CEOs and just people who are at a different level of of work being human, I think, I don't know, I just feel like that will bring us closer to the future you're talking about where we're more thoughtful and inclusive about this stuff.
1: Listen, 9% of Fortune... 500 CEOs, eight women. You just mentioned that stat earlier. There's a structural impediment everywhere you look. Yeah. One of the structural pieces, you know, is of course our leave policies, how we work, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the other is what I call more systemic and cultural, which is it's not acceptable. It's a black eye to ever admit that you need to step out, step to the side or step back. I think the obvious thing would have been if I disappeared.
0: Yes. And you updated your LinkedIn and it was like, that was that. And I came back six months later somewhere else, right? And that's, I
1: think, what we typically would expect. But I think we have to go against that grain and say, well, what's the value of that? And how do we create more sustainable situations? And if you're going to change those numbers, which are still so calcified, like how do you do it without some examples? And funnily enough, it's only a decade ago we started to finally talk about maternity leave in women.
0: Yeah, oh my god, that's I can't believe that's that. last decade.
1: <laughs> that's still pretty fresh. Uh-huh. Saying, you know, Marissa Mayer was bringing her baby to work, or Sheryl Sandberg, blah blah blah. Like that was very new at the time. And when I was having my babies, they were my example of like, oh, I don't have to give up and step out. I had venture capitalists who I will not name say to me, so what are you going to do now when they saw my baby bump? Oh my God. Assuming I was leaving. I said, well, I'm going to be back. I'll be back in a minute. And I remember them saying, but don't you want to stay home? And I'm not one of those people that get to do that. I'm on an economic, you know, path for my family, just like, you know, so many other people. And so I think that's where I hope this decade, we moved, I think now we accept that women have babies and can still work, which, by the way, in tech was very new last decade. Yeah, somehow, yeah. And now can we also accept that they can grow older and they can have parents that need their support, right? These are the economic realities and social realities around us. but how do we also connect that to leadership and executives and not just let them kind of move on to the other side?
0: Yeah, I have chills. I mean, that was such good framing. One last question before we jump into our lightning round which it brings back to an earlier comment where you said something along the lines of like, you got to this breaking point, but really we should have been thinking about this, preparing for this on every end. For people who are listening, like what are some ways you recommend stepping away or stepping out or stepping back that doesn't look like I'm a CEO going on leave? Like beyond leave, is there any ways- Oh, I see. You know, ways to- Constrict, especially if you're not in a CEO position. If you were in a different position,
1: yeah, and also interestingly, you know, my situation was obviously driven by this caregiving reality. But what if you're just someone who's burnt out? Right. What if you're just right? It doesn't need to be an external driver. I think we see this, you know, especially through the pandemic. So many employees are having their own issues in in many regards. There's all these themes out there. There's quiet quitting, great resignation, da 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 da. All of those things, I think, just reflect the fact that people don't feel the support or balance that they do between work and life. And I think that's very much colored by the pandemic. And so I'd say a few things to note. I think number one, hopefully you don't need to resign or quit to make a new path for yourself and balance that. I think it often starts with discipline and mental health support. I'm probably preaching to the choir, many of our listeners, but investing in that and understanding your boundaries between work and life should be a requirement and really understood. And hopefully you don't need to get to breaking points to your point to get there. I think number two, being open and honest with teams. It starts at the manager level of understanding that people are humans, understanding what are their dynamics, who are they responsible for, so that teams can actually talk about things like what their needs are and what might be coming up, because it's actually extremely, it's not just CEOs to your point. Like it's very disruptive at any time you need to do a succession plan overnight. So yeah. Managers and teams should be talking about the realities of what's coming up for you. And, and the only way you're going to get honest answers is if the manager is transparent. I think creating that culture is really critical. And I think third is understanding kind of like listening to these stories and understanding what your teams look like and the inclusion and diversity score of them is key. Because I think that's really where one of the things that Clio had that I think many companies don't is I had no stigma at work. I mean, people knew what was going on. So I can't imagine what it would have happened if I didn't have that. So I think those are a couple of things to think about.
0: SJ, thank you so much. This was literally like a mind-blowing episode. Um, and I feel like I learned so much as someone who's not even in the tech world in the way that you and so many of our listeners are. Let's end with a really quick lightning round of questions. If that sounds good with you. I'm game, I think. Okay, cool. So number <laughs> one, um, if you weren't in the world of building startups, what would you be doing?
1: Okay, today I'm going to give you a really weird answer. Hey, please, I want to have like a cannoli truck. Like, I feel like it's like the new trend that I'm going to create someday. I'm here. Nobody for take it. my idea. <laughs> I really <laughs> just want to make a lot of cannolis and drive around. That's the silly answer, and the uh, the real answer is I'd be back in politics. Unfortunately, it's a hot mess over there. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> and we gotta we gotta <laughs> fix it. So. But maybe I could do a little of both. Can only track and politics. Okay,
0: perfect. That might be the headline of the episode now. Um, can only track? If
1: there's anyone out there that wants to fund it, they can reach like it out. Look, it actually to me. could happen.
0: Um, we'll come back in a year and check. Okay, two more. One is what is one technology trend or even startup that excites you at the current moment?
1: Ooh, oh, 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 oh. Okay, okay. So how are we going to combine the artificial, you know, intelligence like Chat GPT with healthcare? I don't know who's working on that right now, but they they should be. I've been a little bit distracted, as you guys have heard, in the last few months. So I'm not tracking who's doing that, but you need to. And I'm fascinated by it because what so much of what's broken around our healthcare infrastructure is both on the service and data level. So I'm super curious about that. I haven't seen it yet, and I'm sure it exists, but I definitely would be wildly bullish on that combination.
0: Awesome. Here for it. I try not to respond to many of these questions, so it actually is a lightning round, but I agree. Um, Last but not least, what is the best advice that you've ever gotten as a human, as a professional, anything, anything in between? It's so cheesy. Please. I'm here for it. (laughs) Have you met me?
1: (laughs) Just Just be true to yourself and listen to your gut. When it screams, it has a good point and you should listen to it. And every time I haven't And I will not go into detail, there were a few startups that I would have joined that were really, my gut was screaming and I didn't because other prevailing, you know, information or people were in in my ear. And it's also the story of what I did. I listened to my gut, which said, I got to be with my family and it comes first. So. That is, I know, a very trite one, but it has proven true in both painful and beautiful ways. In my I
0: am so here for it. Um Actually, I'm, I'm not going to say you were you were brave from coming on the show, but I am going to say I wasn't. You were. Super- I wasn't. It's normal. What I did was normal, everyone. And you might have to do it too. It's a boring <laughs> podcast. We actually don't even need to have this conversation out loud. No, I'm kidding. This. I hope and I believe that you are starting off a trend. Thank you for being transparent and public about it. And everyone else, we will link where you can find SJ on the internet in the show notes. We will be back on Friday with regular programming. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. This was wonderful. Equity Wednesdays are hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter, Natasha Mascarenas. We're produced by Teresa Locansolo with Editing, by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Picovet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next week.